we continue in our series through the book of Deuteronomy, we're in a mini-series of sorts on the Ten Commandments, looking at one commandment each Sunday, and today we look at the Eighth Commandment. Once again, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. As you're turning there, let me just mention in passing that uh, as details develop with uh, our MNA branch of disaster relief in the PCA, there, there may be some ways for us to lend a hand to our brothers and sisters in PCA churches in Florida in particular, but perhaps in other states as well who have been affected by Hurricane Ian. And we'll try to make sure that those uh, details are made available to you in case you'd like to help in some way. But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19, the Eighth Commandment. And let's hear the word of the Lord. And you shall not steal. Well, have you ever been robbed? You ever been stolen from? It is not a good feeling. I have a haunting uh, memory as a young boy staying with my aunt and uncle, actually in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, sleeping overnight, I was in their living room, and uh, their living room had three walls uh, with French doors leading to a patio in their backyard. I was sleeping on the couch, and a sound woke me up in the middle of the night, and I realized it was a door handle rattling. And I watched a dark figure move from one French door to another, trying to find a handle that was unlocked in order to come into the house. On another occasion, someone broke into my car. Now, fortunately, I did not have anything worth stealing in the car. But nonetheless, I I felt violated, Uh, like there was some sort of attack on my person. Because in some ways, that is what is happening when we're robbed. Most of us have a story or two about being robbed or stolen from or defrauded, maybe having our identity stolen or our bank card hacked, and it's not a pleasant thing. And, and one of the reasons for that is because when our personal possessions are taken away from us, it, it is something that we cannot detach from affecting us as persons. And that makes perfect sense in the biblical world where this connection between person and property is very, very clear. In the the ancient world, that made a lot of sense because typically you had a close connection to your material possessions. Perhaps you built your own home. Perhaps you fashioned your own tools which enabled you to fulfill your trade. Maybe you uh, made your own clothing or the tools that you use to make food from a day-to-day basis. But in our world, you know, property and possessions are in some ways more depersonalized because we don't have that same immediate connection, at least most of us. We often don't make our own stuff. And in a consumer society, we're disposed to get rid of the old and, and bring in the new. But still, not, nevertheless... We know what it is like to get emotionally attached to things. What what we are, in some sense, includes what we have. We are not our stuff. But the things that belong to us, we incorporate into 
our lives. Just think about the pleasure or pride you might feel in a new home or a new car or whatever. Buy a vacation home and you're now one of those people who own a vacation home. Think of the affection and attachment you might develop to a, an old piece of furniture or a gun that has been passed down through the family. Uh, some of you know I talked to you about it this morning. La- this past week, Kelsey and I uh, traded in the uh, very first car that we bought together when we were married 11 years ago, our Subaru Forester. And trading in that car turned into be a lot more difficult than I ever imagined. The day before, I found myself standing in the driveway just staring at it. And the following morning, when I was going off to Blue Knob, I said out loud to the car, one last ride. And then I got to Blue Knob, and I found myself standing in the parking lot, staring at the car again, talking to the car once again, saying, we've we've been through a lot. And then I said, what are you doing? You're talking to a car. (laughs) Um, And I think if somebody had ever stolen that car, I'm sure I would have told myself, well, it's just a car. But that nagging feeling of being violated would have surely been there too. The Bible reflects this connection between persons and properties and property in a bunch of ways. And in the Torah, the very first specific law that uh, unpacks the Eighth Commandment has to do with man-stealing, forbidding kidnapping and, and uh, taking persons by force. Exodus 21 verse 16 enslaving a person, unjustly imprisoning them, coercing productivity, or paying them unfair wages are all prohibited by the law. They're all considered forms of theft. The law always demands that we take care of our neighbor's property. If a friend gives you something while he's away, you have to protect it as if it's your own. Exodus 22, verse 7. If you damage something, that you've borrowed, you must make restitution. Exodus 22, verse 14. If you find your neighbor's animal wandering around, you must return it or take care of it until your neighbor reclaims it. Deuteronomy 22. The law even says that if your enemy's animal is caught under a burden, you must release it and return it. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. So you can't say, you know, yeah, I love my enemy, but I'm going to trash his stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love my neighbor, but I'm going to unjustly take things that uh, would harm his well-being. See, you love your enemy by caring about his personal property. We cannot divorce or separate loving someone from caring about their physical well-being and prosperity. This, friends, is a matter of biblical justice. Protecting their possessions is part of loving them. You know, when someone tells me that they believe people are basically good deep down, one of the questions I like to ask them is, do you lock your doors at night? <laughs> so we all, know, we all know deep down something isn't quite right. We know that things are not the way they are supposed to be, that we live 
in a fallen world, and it is worth noting as we get started that the way we got here has everything to do with stealing. The way that we got into this fallen world, to the place where we find ourselves, has everything to do with theft. Remember, God is the owner, the universal owner of all things, as the creator of the world. We sang it this morning in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, because he founded it, he established it. And yet, the same God, the creator of all things, the owner, the rightful owner of all things, was immensely generous to our first parents. He not only created them and bestowed them with life, he placed them in a garden full of abundant life and essentially said to them, this is all yours, cultivate it and enjoy it. There was no shortage There were no supply chain issues in the Garden of Eden. They enjoyed broad freedom and lacked nothing. There was just this one thing, one thing that was off limits, one tree. And our first parents decided to take the one thing that had not been given. So we must not miss the irony here as we try to see the significance of the Eighth Commandment in the whole story of Scripture. Adam lost everything precisely by what he reached out to unlawfully take. But Jesus, the second Adam, reversed that trajectory, reclaiming what was lost precisely by what he gave. You see, sin... Sin turns us into self-serving thieves. We don't need to put pantyhose over our head and break into a house or hold up a bank in order to be thieves. We are thieves in countless ways as children of Adam. But the second Adam refused to take what was forbidden and he reclaimed what was lost by generously giving himself for us and the good news is not it means not only that thieving sinners can be forgiven and reconciled to God it means that God is at work in us conforming us by his spirit to the image of Christ and so that we reflect his image it means God is at work in us conforming us to the image of one who gives to bless others And very practically, that means we more and more, by the gospel, become a people who see every good thing as a gift to be enjoyed to the glory of God and deployed for the love and service of our neighbor. Accordingly, I like to explore the Eighth Commandment and see this morning not only that it prohibits stealing, but the way that it positively requires generosity. We'll consider those two things, how the Eighth Commandment prohibits stealing and requires generosity. Like we've seen, I think, with all of the commandments, the domain of this commandment is more broad than we may at first realize. Vertically speaking, in terms of our relationship with God, the Eighth Commandment forbids all of the various ways we fail to acknowledge God as the ultimate origin 
owner and end of all things. Right? So whenever we boast in anything other than God, we are effectively robbing him of his glory. Remember the, the question that the Apostle Paul asks, what do you have that you did not receive? What a, what a searching question that is when we really stop and think about it. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't, Paul asks. You see, to be proud is essentially to rob God. And to grumble is to rob God of gratitude. And these are things we do incessantly. These are things we do all of the time. The Bible also warns us about how easy it is to forget God when he has richly blessed us. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that the, the, way, the way prosperity can so easily produce amnesia? A kind of forgetfulness. Have you recognized that danger in your own life? The, the way that prosperity can so quickly lead into a kind of spiritual amnesia where we forget God and we begin to think it's all our doing. And this is, a, this is not only a major theme throughout the Bible, it's a major theme in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32 verses 11 through 15 is a poetic description of Israel being blessed with prosperity and abundance and productivity and fruitfulness. And it says Jeshurun, or, or Israel, grew fat and kicked. And they forsook God and scoffed at the rock of their salvation. Friends, that is a real danger. When we enjoy prosperity, we are prone to become proud and to forget and forsake God we grow fat and kick. And while our society teaches us to carefully catalog all of our accomplishments, the, the Bible reminds us that everything on our personal resume belongs to God. Even the power of productivity itself comes from him. This is why in Deuteronomy 8, Moses warns the Israelites. He says, take care, lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply. And your silver and gold is multiplied. And all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up. And then you may forget the Lord your God. A few verses later. Beware lest you say in your heart. My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. You see, viewed from this vertical perspective, in terms of our relationship with God, it is impossible to calculate how often and how many times we have broken the Eighth Commandment. How often do we forget that it all comes from God? How often do we forget that every good thing comes from above? How often do we boast as if we didn't receive it as a gift? How often have we failed to recognize that all things are from him and through him and to him? See, we break this commandment in relation to God consistently. 
But then bring it down to the horizontal dimension. What about the law in relation to our neighbor? According to the Heidelberg Catechism, the Eighth Commandment not only forbids outright theft and robbery, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, and volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. And this can happen on a personal level. This can happen at institutional levels. In, in, in addition, you see, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. That's the Heidelberg Catechism. So just ask yourself, how, how often do you quietly steal take things from others in illegitimate ways, and how often do we squander God's good gifts, using them selfishly or using them pointlessly? Perhaps one of the most widespread ways we do this is simply by prioritizing the economic values of the American dream and the pursuit of ever-increasing wealth over the values of God's kingdom and the pursuit of ever-increasing generosity. And there are countless, countless applications of this uh, downstream. But this is perhaps one of the most widespread ways we break the Eighth Commandment in relation to our neighbor. When we buy into the American dream, not saying that's all bad, but when we buy into the economic values of this world, and the expectation of ever-increasing wealth for our own sake. We've bought into that desire rather than the biblical aspiration of generosity. See, what we discover, though, when we read the Gospels is that the kingdom of God, that is the true nature of his rule, must be understood in terms of radical generosity. That's what characterizes the kingdom of God because it is established by the radically self-giving God, by generous God. The kingdom comes because Jesus has been given as a gift. Don't forget what the very last vision of the Bible is. Last week we mentioned the motherly bridal city coming down from heaven, adorned for her husband. Do you, but do you know what the last vision of the Bible is? It, it is a fountain throne. And that means God's rule, his, his reign is like a river. It's the river of life that flows out and it produces life, feeding the trees whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. That's what God's rule is like. It is a gift giving life. That's what we discover in the gospel. We, we discover the most characteristic and revolutionary reality that Jesus revealed about the kingdom of God. Right? The son of man was invested with authority and power for the revelation of his dominion. And it was Jesus, the same one, who exercised that authority by laying down his life for the good of others. He gave himself as a ransom 
for many. Jesus' message of the kingdom, therefore, is the announcement of God's sovereignty in self-giving. It is proclamation by word and deed that God's reign has come by nothing else than the gift of God himself. Fear not, Jesus says, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. But you see, when we embrace the economic values of our world, we, we rob ourselves of this joy and all the treasure we could be storing up in heaven. We rob our children of a living example of what it means to really believe all the way down that Jesus is supremely precious and that it really is better to give than to receive. You see, friends, if all of creation is fundamentally gift, if our salvation is fundamentally gift, then it is actually living against the grain of creation and the grain of our salvation when we just live to get and not give. I think one of the most important gifts, I'm convinced of this more and more, that one of the most important gifts we can give to coming generations is to live in a way over the course of our lives that really communicates we believe that Jesus is more precious than wealth and possessions. We rob the next generation when we live in ways that communicate. We worship God on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, that's my business. And to pursue my own desires, pursue my own ends, more wealth, more satisfaction, more stuff for me. We rob people when we live like that. God's kingdom comes as a gift. We rob God of glory. We, we rob children of an example. We rob ourselves, failing to store up treasures in heaven. We rob the church of needed support. We rob our neighbors of practical support we might provide. And we rob the world of the witness that God calls us to give through glad and generous hearts. Listen carefully here. The point is not that the pursuit of wealth is a bad thing. The point is that there is something better. The point is that we seek to gain in order to give, not to hoard for ourselves or build our own little kingdoms. In the Bible, material prosperity and provision is celebrated as a positive good. After all, God is the one who created the natural wealth of the world. And scripture often celebrates, it's just a tag phrase, this ideal vision of every Israelite sitting under their own fig tree and vines. It's an image of celebrating the, the blessing of private property and security, material possessions, riches and prosperity are good gifts. Poverty is not a biblical ideal, but neither are riches. In fact, listen to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. I'll ask you a question. Have, has it ever crossed your mind that living in a culture that tells us life is about consumption, getting more and more stuff for yourself, have you, have you ever had the thought cross your mind? Maybe I have too much. Maybe I don't need some of this stuff. Riches for the sake of resting on our laurels is not a biblical ideal. But again, neither is poverty lest we be tempted to steal and dishonor God, as Proverbs says. Paul told Timothy that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so we should not feel guilty for enjoying the good things God has given to us. Scripture does not demonize material goods. But listen, it does warn against the danger of idolizing wealth and possessions. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, But for those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's pretty strong language. Those desiring to be rich set a trap for themselves, Paul says. Their desires become senseless without any lasting meaning or purpose beyond their own satisfaction and security. They plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. You see, money and possessions have a peculiar power that can profoundly capture us. Taking on a kind of kind of divine status in our lives. Right? We've, we've felt this pull. We've, we've, we've experienced this temptation before, haven't we? To trust in wealth and possessions. Thinking this, this is the way to live a happy and full life. But before we know it, before we know it, our hearts have become cold and calloused to the needs of other people around us. As we saw earlier, Jesus said that we cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. Did you ever notice when Jesus uh, says that, he doesn't say no one can serve two masters, you cannot serve God and anything else. That's That's not what he says. Isn't it interesting that he zeroes in on mammon or money? You cannot serve both God and money. We can can easily begin to think that money will buy us happiness, but sooner or later we become as lifeless as the coins that we functionally worship and our hearts become as hard and calloused as the coins that we serve to the needs of those around us. And shocking though it may sound to us today, the Bible insists that it really is possible to have too much. And so we rob both ourselves and others when we prioritize our personal prosperity 
over the common good and spend our lives in the pursuit of temporal goods rather than eternal ones. See, the Eighth Commandment forbids such folly. All other applications of the Eighth Commandment, I I believe, are all downstream from this. They're all downstream from the issue of desire. What do you want? They're all downstream from our vision of what the good life actually looks like. Now let's, let's think about the positive aspect of the command just for a couple of minutes. What is required by the Eighth Commandment? So the, the Eighth Commandment not only prohibits stealing, it positively requires generosity. Think about the ground for this commandment. How this commandment is a reflection of the character of God himself. If the foundation of reality is a generous God, and if the basis of our salvation is our self-giving God, and we are being remade after his own image, then we might say generosity lies at the very heart of the Christian life. God saves guilty thieves and turns them into generous givers because that is what God is like. Because that's who he is, a God who freely gives to bless others. Paul unpacks the implications of this in a passage like Ephesians 4 verse 28. I want you to just listen and notice the order of thought from the negative to the positive. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, right? That's the way of life that belongs to a life of sin. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. So Paul is talking about someone who formerly was a, was a thief, who stole to, to get by. And this person has come to Jesus Christ. This person is now a Christian. And Paul is unpacking the implications of that and saying, let him no longer steal. Let him now work with his own hands. But why? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this command? Paul goes on to say, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the positive purpose that Paul states. And we have to recognize That the positive purpose of work there extends beyond one's own personal provision to sharing with anyone in need. Former thieves become generous givers in Jesus Christ. You see, once we reckon with God's universal ownership and the reality of everything we have as gift... And once we come to see that our salvation is a gift of divine generosity, we begin to see how the Eighth Commandment is woven into the story of our fall and of our redemption. Remember, God God created Adam and Eve to take ownership of creation as stewards, but they stole what wasn't theirs to take. And stealing has been a part of the story of the world ever since. But God, right? But God sent 
his one and only son, who is in very form God. But he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto for his own benefit. But he humbled himself, taking on the form of a slave, ultimately to give his very life over to death on a tree. This is the divine generosity of God displayed in the gospel. And, and maybe, you know, something that hit me this week, maybe it was just to get it through our thick heads. He died on a tree between two thieves. Though he was rich, he became poor so that we might come to share in God's riches. He didn't take, he gave. He, he paid the debt that we had incurred. And by this word of the gospel, the spirit of this unimaginably generous second Adam is forming and fashioning a new humanity in his own image. You see, you shall not steal is first of all a description of the character of Jesus Christ. He doesn't take, he gives And he is remaking us after his image to be a people who labor and use the gifts we have received, both material and spiritual, to bless others. And so brothers and sisters, let me end just saying this. Don't don't make the same mistake that our first parents made in the garden. And they thought, I think God was holding out on them. God was holding something back. God was keeping something for himself that he didn't want to share with them. No, the gospel says God has freely given to us all things in his son. You don't have to be afraid that God is going to provide for you. He has already given you more than everything in Jesus Christ. And it is the father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. And that's why we can be generous without fear and with great joy. And so let's pray for grace to be conformed more and more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ who displays this kind of divine generosity to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us this morning in the Eighth Commandment. And we see that you are an unfathomably generous giver. We thank you for the gift of this world. We thank you for the gift of our lives. And we thank you for the gift of all of the things that we enjoy in this life. And most of all, we are grateful for the gift of salvation that you have given us freely in Jesus Christ. We confess, Lord, that we are thieves that we have stolen from you and others and even in some ways ourselves. And we ask uh, for forgiveness in Jesus Christ and we ask for renewal by your spirit in Jesus Christ. Conform us to his likeness and transform us into a people who see everything that we have as gift and as an opportunity to be rendered in service to you 
and for the good of those around us. And we pray these things for the sake of your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.